Well, church, as you're having a seat, if you would, grab your Bibles. First of all, welcome back, Zach. Zach, glad to have you back. Zach and his new baby boy, Dean. Becca's at home with Dean, so can't wait to meet him one day. Um, Glad to have you back, man. Uh, We are going to be in Mark's gospel. We're doing a little one-off, although it's not really a one-off. We've just concluded a whole series all on the birth of Jesus, all on the fact that Jesus was crowned in glory and he came and was born in a cradle. And so today we're going to be looking at, uh, in light of the fact that Jesus has come, what is the call of Christ on our lives? What is he calling us to? What is he calling us toward? What is Jesus calling us into? In fact, why did he come? Why was he born? Why was he incarnate? Why, uh, why, why did he come? And then what is the call of this Messiah, this Christ, this Lord on our lives? But before we get Get there. Uh, I just want to have a couple of quick things to share with y'all. Number one, uh, I always hesitate to do this because I think for some people or for many people, it can be like looking at someone else's family photos. And we all know how awesome that is. Like when someone invites you over and they're like, hey, would you want to come look at my family vacation album? And you're like, yeah, sure. That's fun for like one minute, but not for like two hours. So I won't do it. I won't bore you too long. Okay. Cause I'm, I'm aware of that. And some of you are like, oh no, here we go down memory lane. But today is a special day because today marks uh, seven years since we first gathered as a core team as a church. So pretty exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Two, two of you are excited. It was probably the two of you who were there, plus Michael, because Michael's always there for me. Um, a couple of pictures. So we just gathered in a living room in the Peterson's living room. I think Melissa's, there they are, Peterson's living room right there. Got a couple of pictures. So there we are. We, we got a bunch of folding chairs unstacked. We were just, we pushed a couch over to the side and we didn't have much. We didn't have a sound system. We didn't have uh, really anything. And I think I put like a cool logo on that TV behind me. We borrowed some folding chairs. You can keep r- r- rattling through these. Uh, my parents are right there. My brother came in town. So you, ha- oh, you always pad the numbers on your launch day as a core group and you invite everyone you've ever met in your life. So there's our children's ministry up in Carter Peterson's room. I think that's Megan right there teaching the kids. So already from day one, we already had a thriving uh, uh, children's ministry, more kids than we had adults. There's Laura. Laura's been with us since day one. If you have a little baby, give Laura a hand. So Laura... Uh, Laura is a director of a local preschool here, Christian preschool, and she uh, felt called to come help us uh, care for these little ones from very day one of us as a new church plant. And so she's still back there loving and serving the littles. There we are in the uh, hallway, uh, all just having a great time talking to each other. Like I said, I won't go too much longer. I know this is boring most of you. Um, And I think, is that the last picture? That's it? Oh, That's it. So there we were seven years ago. Um, So why share all that? Uh, Really, that last song that we sang is is true of our story, is that God is faithful. Uh, We didn't have some grand plan. We weren't master marketers, as you could see. It's like, I can't believe people showed up to that. I was like, I was surprised, right? People come to church in a living room? This is remarkable. Uh, But the Lord is faithful, and uh, the Lord gathers to himself a people. Michael and his call to worship said it is the call of God uh, that does its work in the lives of God's people. And 
uh, we just praise the Lord for the work that he's done for the last seven years in our midst, and we're excited about where he's taking us. And in fact, uh, kind of an addition to that is uh, many of you have been asking, uh, we announced over the summer that we purchased six acres off of Co Lane in 1488 uh, for the future home of Risen Church North. And so many of you are like, what's going on with that? Uh, well, uh, just to let you know, we have landed on an architect, and so we begin in the next couple of months to do a master plan of what our church facility will look like, what our children's facilities will look like, and begin to do the work of uh, praying and planning to see how the Lord will get us out to those six acres so that we can continue to worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ in this community with a permanent outpost um, out there on Co in 1488. And so we're thrilled about all the Lord has done and all the Lord is going to do in our midst. And so grateful that you're here this morning on this New Year's Sunday. Well, this morning, we're gonna ask ourselves this question. Uh, we're gonna ask the question in light of the fact that Jesus has come, in light of the fact that Christmas happened, uh, what does the Savior ask of us? What is he asking of us? What is his call on, his li on our lives? Why did he come? Why did God send his only begotten son? And what is now he asking? In other words, what is the expected norm for those of us that believe the gospel, for those of us who claim to follow Christ with our lives, what is that call? What is Christ calling us to and toward? Why would we buy land? Why would we gather as a people? Why would we build buildings? What, what needs to happen in those places? What is God calling us to do in this place? What is God calling us to do in our families? What is God calling us to do in our workplaces? What is the call of Christ on those of us who believe. John 17, three, it's not gonna be on the screen, says this, now this is eternal life. This is important. Now this is eternal life, that you would know God and Jesus Christ, the one who he has sent. So if I want to be someone who walks with God, if I wanna be someone who walks with God, not just someone who's moral, not just a nice person, not just a uh, uh, sort of a Bible Belt Christian that kind of knows the game and knows the rules. But if I want to be someone who walks with God according to the scriptures, our call is to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to follow him. We're called like the disciples to go and do the things the Savior does. We're not just called to know facts about him. We're not just called to uh, recall cool nuggets of information about the Savior, but our call is to know him and then go and go and walk where the Savior has called us to walk. Now, we, I don't know about you guys, but it's like starting with Thanksgiving, it's this insane sort of hyped up party season. So we've got, let me illustrate, we've got November, we've got Thanksgiving and we buy a turkey because that honors the pilgrims and we have people over and we eat way too much food. And then we've got December, obviously, it's countless Christmas parties. If you're in corporate world, you've got this corporate party, you've got this church party, you've got this party, that party. And then of course, the whole Christmas hoopla. And then a couple days after that, which we just had, we have New Year's Eve and we've got, we pre-COVID, it used to be a big deal. I don't know if it was a big 
big deal this year. I didn't turn on the TV. But he had Carson Daly, right? And he would do the countdown, and everyone watches this big ball drop for some reason because that's really meaningful, and everyone gets really excited about the new year by seeing this glowing orb uh, descend down. And then a few weeks after that, uh, we have the National Football college championship game, which we all are just super excited about. I don't know who's playing. I don't follow sports, but I know many of you do. If that's still happening in COVID, I'm not sure. I think some games have been canceled. Um, and then we got the Super Bowl after that. And then you have Valentine's Day after that. And then you have the Final Four. And I could keep, we could just keep going, right? There's just like this rhythm of like hype and parties and all the marketers and all the different products jump on these bandwagons and say, you need to eat this during this one. You need to buy this during that one. You need to decorate like this during this one. You need to do this and do that and do this and do that. And it's just this constant barrage of marketing and a constant barrage of the next thing is coming, the next event is happening, the next one is happening, and we're inundated on our supercomputers in our pockets that ding at us and tell us exactly what the next event is and exactly what we need to buy, and all we have to do now is push a button and it shows up at our door a few hours later in some cases, and we're prepared and ready for the next big thing. Can't wait. Um. We're so used to introductions in that way. That's just like how we're wired. All of us are so used to introductions or whatever the next thing is in that sort of way with this enormous amount of hype and an enormous amount of flair and excitement and this is going to change your life. This is the game of the century. This is the one to wait for. This is whatever it is, right? It's always bigger, better, best thing. But Jesus introduces his kingdom in a completely different way. And it's so jarring for us. And it's almost confusing for us. Jesus doesn't come with hype. Jesus doesn't bring fireworks. He didn't even bring a party. The only ones parting were the angels, the multitude of angels. And then the shepherds were afraid and they ran away, but they ran to find him. But there was no one else. In fact, as we learned about over the last four weeks, as we've been walking through the, the life of Jesus, the birth narratives of Jesus, and then after that, we know like very little about his life for his first 30 years, like almost nothing. The scriptures give us no information from, we get a ton of information about his birth that he's come, and then there's nothing for like almost 30 years. The only event that we have is Jesus as a boy is standing in the synagogue preaching the Bible to the religious leaders. So it gives you a window of what his heart really cares about. Um, and, then when, and then what's even more remarkable, as you begin to walk through the Gospels, he begins his ministry and then he'll heal people. He'll do these miraculous, amazing things and he'll bring the power of God to bear in people's lives and then he'll tell people not to tell anyone what happened. That's like the opposite of what they teach you in like church planter school. Tell everyone you know. I don't care if they want to hear from you or not. Like when I did this, I didn't know that like signing people up for an email marketing list was illegal if they didn't opt in. I was opting everyone in, you know? <laughs> And only like 20 people showed up. I think I had like 900 people on my list. And they're like, it's not a, like, we're just taught the total opposite. 
Jesus is like, I know that was amazing and changed your life forever. Tell no one. What? It's bizarre. Why didn't he now announce his coming? Why didn't he announce his ministry? Why didn't God announce it in such a way or Jesus announce it in such a way when he arrived that millions of people would be waiting on him, that millions of people would just be waiting to hear what he had to say? Why didn't he come with a bigger party than our pre-COVID New Year's Eve, New York City ball-dropping moments? Um, Jesus doesn't do it this way because Jesus is interested in drawing to himself those who are fully committed to his cause and his purposes. Not hype and not a show. He's not interested in drawing people to just some cool event that you opt in and you opt out. He's interested in drawing people to himself. And he radically wants to change us from the inside out. He doesn't want to call us to something we watch and observe. He wants to call us to something that comes in and profoundly changes our hearts. And in fact, gives us and takes our dead heart and makes it alive to God. That doesn't happen at a party. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1. Mark's gospel is a very fast-paced gospel. Mark gets to the point. He, he says things with clarity. He says things very quickly. So that's why it's the shortest of the gospels because he's just, he's, it's almost like if you want a bullet point of the ministry and life of Christ, read Mark's gospel because uh, he just, he doesn't give any fluff. He just is, gives you the detail and uh, moves on. And so here is the very beginning of the public ministry of our risen Lord Jesus Christ as given to us in Mark 14 through 18. God's word says this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. So that's like a great example of Mark's writing. John's arrested, he's done, let's get to Jesus, right? So that's just kind of how he rolls. John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Then passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. The scripture this morning in this new year tells us two things. What is the true gospel and how do we live in it? And then two, what is the call of Christ on those who believe this good news? So today we find ourselves in a culture that everyone sort of wants to be spiritual. Everyone wants a spiritual connection, maybe even a connection with Jesus. And we want a Jesus to kind of fit our mold. We want a Jesus or a spiritual connection to fit sort of our worldview, to fit into uh, our little uh, neat ideas of who he is. We want a bumper sticker Jesus. We want a coffee mug Jesus. And everyone wants this Jesus to sort of fit neatly into our lives so he meets our needs whenever we need him whenever we want him. However, a Jesus that is our own projection in that way, a Jesus that is sort of our own ideas and sort of always meets our individual needs, that Jesus will never transform you. 
That Jesus will never challenge your ideals, never challenge your presuppositions. And therefore, that Jesus will never really change you. Uh, Because he's an invention of your own sort of needs and wants. And he's not based on who and what we find him to be in here. That's sort of the cultural waters we're swimming in. But the first spoken words here recorded in Martha, Jesus gives us are these. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel and follow me. So Jesus doesn't call us to a cultural icon. He doesn't call us to the the hype. Jesus calls us for his purpose and for his mission. And this idea, this call that Jesus gave was so unique in Jewish tradition and culture at the time. See, rabbis at the time never chose their students. So uh, a rabbi wouldn't walk around and look for uh, and call people to follow that rabbi and his teachings. So in those days, students would seek out the rabbi and they would ask to follow the rabbi. And so here, Jesus is even flipping the whole thing on its head, the whole religious order on its head. So culturally, a student would always seek out the master, the one he respected, the one that that he sought out. But Jesus here is showing us something profound. He's showing us that you cannot have a relationship with him unless he has called you to himself. He shows us that the call, his call, is what moves us into action. And this call, the call of Christ, not only changed their lives individually, but it changed the very fabric of the world in which you and I live today. That's incredible. The call of Jesus is a profoundly powerful thing. So what is the call? What is that call? What's the call of Christ? Well, he tells us right here, repent and believe in the gospel. That's what he calls us to. Repent and believe in the gospel, verse 15. So first, we've got to ask ourselves this question. Well, what's a gospel? It's a word that I think we, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard it so many times, you're almost like inoculated to this word, or you think, or, or, or if I just sampled a bunch of us, or I sampled even us here in this room, what is the gospel, or what is a gospel, you would kind of get the, ah, church, Jesus, right? It's kind of the Sunday school answer, like, I've heard it a lot, I know it means Jesus on some level, I know it means uh, it's a church word, I don't know, we just talked about it uh, over Christmas. It's got to have something to do with that, right? So it's, we've heard it so many times. When we encounter this call, the call of Christ on your life and my life and all of us who claim to follow him, repent and believe the gospel. Well, what is a gospel? What does it even mean? Well, when Jesus said it right here, this is, this is amazing, this, it, had, it did not have religious undertones. It didn't have a religious meaning at the time. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, that was, of course, had uh, understanding of the Old Testament. But repent and believe in this gospel that he's bringing. It didn't have this, like, churchy, synagogue, Jewish sort of undertones at all. It, it, was, it was a common word. Well, it, wasn't, it, was, it was a common word that had significant implications. So this word gospel simply means news that brings great joy. We heard it uh, over our last series because the angels declared a gospel. 
I bring you good news of great joy. In other words, another translation, the angels came on the scene when Jesus was born and said, rejoice, I bring you the gospel. News of great joy. And so this this news that brought great joy, when Jesus is saying it and when these original listeners are listening to it, meant that this was going to be history-making news. This news was going to be life-shaping news. It wasn't daily common news. It was life-altering news. In fact, we have uh, ancient Roman texts at this very same time that Mark was written that say things like this. In the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. And so this would have been the story of the birth and coronation of Caesar. And so a gospel is news of a great event, news of a great victory in war, news of the birth of a great king. And in fact, in ancient times, to give you even more color to this idea of of the gospel, uh, of what this idea means, is that a king, oftentimes, when they would send out soldiers into battle to go conquer an enemy nation, they would send out their troops, they would send out their armies, and always with the army back behind would have been a herald. And a herald would have followed this invading army. uh, And if the king's army won, if the king's army was victorious in battle against these foes that were coming against them to attack and enslave their people, the, the general of that army would send the herald back to their hometown, back to the castle, back to the palace, back to wherever they were. And he would declare he would herald the gospel of the king's victory. Pretty interesting. So a herald would be in battle and he would march back, sprint back, declaring the good news of the gospel that the king had won. The king had won his victory. And why was it good news? Why was the gospel good news? Because for the people listening the people that encountered this news, it meant that they would live. It meant that an invading army wasn't coming in and going to kill them or going to take their lands, take their homes, take their families, enslave them. It was life-altering news that landed on them that they had no control over. The battle was already won, The king won the victory, and the herald came back declaring the good news of the gospel. And the people's response was to rejoice. To rejoice. That's why it's joyful news. That's why the gospel of Jesus is so unique. So the gospel is something, a gospel is something that happened in history that changes your status forever, but you didn't do the work to do it. You just received it. So the gospel of Jesus is so unique because the essence of all other religions is advice. It's advice. But Christianity is a gospel. It's what has already been accomplished by Christ that you might be saved. That's why it's joyful news. There's no rules you have to attain or ladders you have to climb to get it. It's a gospel of grace. That's why it's so freeing and life-giving and good news. So New Year's often, Zach talked about it early, lends itself to kind of all these resolutions. I got to do better. 
I got to do better here. I got to do better there. I got to lose that uh, pesky 10 pounds. I got to go to church more. I got to be a better whatever. All of those things. And those are all great things. Those are great things to strive for. Um, But the gospel of Jesus is not a resolution. The gospel of Jesus is a declaration of what has already been done for you. And when we cling to that, it profoundly changes you. Think about this. When you stand in the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is freedom for you. Galatians tells us that. But when you stand in the face of religion or moral law or do better or resolution-based Christianity, uh, it's just a religion of great advice and it's not freeing at all and it's crushing. Why? Because it becomes about you and your performance to do better, try harder, and make it work this time. It becomes about you, not about what Christ has done. But church, when you hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you feel like, do you experience like one that heard the heralds declaring the victory in battle, that your burdens are lifted, your fears now subside, and an overwhelming joy comes over you because of what has already been accomplished. It means this, the gospel of Jesus means that our king will rule. It means that the battle has already been won and that we can rest and have peace and joy in our good king who has accomplished all that we need. Or when you hear, do you hear advice on how to live that might inspire you for a little bit? Depending on how good the presentation is. But then it eventually just becomes a burden that's hard to bear. And you think, forget this. I can't ever live up to this. I'm out of here. That's not Christ's gospel. The gospel of Jesus is never a heavy burden. He tells us, Matthew eleven thirty, 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The gospel in our scriptures is that God accepts you on the basis of Christ, not on your own merit. Not on what you have performed in the past, but what he, Christ, has performed in history for you. And so here we have another aspect of the good news of Jesus is that he's announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand. So this is another thing that in the announcements at the very beginning of his earthly ministry, it means that God is establishing his kingdom and it's beginning with the arrival of this man, Jesus. And so there is a king and he is establishing a kingdom And then we begin to see this good king begin to gather around himself and gather to himself a people. And so the second thing, the last thing we're going to look at today is what is this king under the banner of this good news, this gospel that Jesus accomplished for us, what is he now asking of his people? If he is our good king and he is building and establishing in a kingdom and he's gathering for himself a people of this new kingdom, what is the mandate of the king? In other words, Mark 1, 16 through 18 gives us a window. 
Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew and the brother Simon casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Jesus here, interestingly enough, calls the lower echelon of society. Not the typical people that you would think he would choose. So these guys would have been like the modern day dropouts. Modern day high school dropouts, right? They're just out fishing. So the call of Jesus here on their lives, these unlikely people that would change the world by this good call of Jesus, is this. It's a call to follow him. It's not a call to morality. So initially when Jesus encounters these men who are already too low to be called by another rabbi in the community, but he calls these guys, it's not like, uh, it's not Jesus doing an evaluation on their personal lives and telling them to clean up their act before they can follow him. It wasn't like, you know, put out the cigarette or stop using bad language or whatever. You know, it wasn't any of these, these, these things, these external things. He looks at these, these guys and his call initially is follow. The call of the king is to follow. It is to abide. The initial call of God on your life and on my life is to be near Jesus, to follow him, to be where he is. Jesus calls his people so that we can be right next to him. And after a season of being next to him and following him, from there he sends us out on mission. But the initial call is follow me. Stay right here. The Gospel of John tells us 40 times, in fact, it says, abide with me, abide with me, abide with me, abide with me. That word abide literally means stay right here. Don't move. Stay right next to me. This is where you'll learn from me. This is where you'll grow. This is where you'll flourish. This is where you'll grow to be like me. Abide with me. When people ask what Jesus is all about, he says, I want you right here with me, my people. I want you where I am. He says it this way in Mark 3.14, it won't be on the screen. He appointed 12 so that they would be with him. That's why he called them. And then he says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. In other words, he says, follow me and I will make you into something else. As you spend time with me, you change. As you follow and abide with me, your priorities in your life and where you go and what you say and how you do and what you do with your life begins to change and take on all new meaning and all new purpose. It's not um, put me up over here and grab me when you need me. Follow me. So, I mean, we, we, we understand this, that when we begin to, when we're around someone, when we're around people, we begin to talk alike. We begin to, my wife and I are about to celebrate our 17th wedding anniversary. And so uh, we, we often do this where I'll literally say something. She's like, I was literally just thinking that. Right? Anyone else have that happen? It's like all of a sudden you begin 
saying the same thing, saying it the same way, even thinking the same thing. When you get around a group of friends for long enough, you begin quoting the same movies. Your interests start to align. You start to do things you never thought you would do before because this group of people are doing it. And you're like, I want to do it with these group of people. And so you begin to take on some of those traits as you are following each other in life. Jesus is saying, as you follow me, I'm going to begin to change you. I'm going to make inroads into your life that are pervasive. And he says, as you stay right here, I'm going to change you into fishers of men. I will make you become. I will put you in the process of. Now, what does that mean? What is a fisher of men? What's like, what is the, what is the, the New Testament literature getting at here? The bi- biblical imagery Uh, throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, the sea or the water is always a symbol of chaos and death. Right, we see it in the very beginning in Genesis. You can hearken back to those where, where there was chaos, where things were unknown. There was darkness. There was uh, depth. There was all these things that were unknown. And so and God often brings order and, and, and goodness uh, from things of chaos. And so he's playing even on this with Jesus' calling of the first disciples. So it's this, the, the water and the sea is this kingdom of darkness, the unknown depths. And what Jesus is saying here, he says, as you follow me, I will make you into a people that will draw others out of the depths of chaos and the unknown and the darkness into the kingdom of my light and hope, the light of the good news of the gospel. And it's a process and it's a journey. And so he says, follow me. The disciples didn't know where he was going. And the journey looked nothing like what they thought Months later, after this initial call, it involved running for their lives. It involved failures beyond comprehension on their part. It involved betrayal. But this was the way. He was going to turn them into fishers of men. The disciples had no idea how hard the call was going to be. But he says, follow me, I'm taking you on a journey. And here's how it works. Jesus is looking for a people that will follow him when he calls. And then Jesus sets his followers on the mission of bringing others out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And he will take you places you never thought you'd go. Because that's exactly the playbook of God. Um, God sent Jesus, his only begotten son, to the most unlikely place to win. He went to what seemed like the greatest dead end, the cross, to bring forth the kingdom of light. And he says, follow me and I'll give you more life than you've ever known but it's gonna look so different than you ever thought and there's gonna be cost involved. Mark 1, 19 and 20 and going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, and they were in the boat mending their nets and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The reality is if we're gonna walk with Jesus like this, like he's calling us to, there will be some cost involved. Throughout the Gospels, there's a lot of admirers of Jesus. 
Um, they come to see the magic man pass out bread and fish or do cool things, and they're kind of on the fringes, and they're just watching to see what he's going to do next. But when it comes to walking with him, they're few. So if he's going to change us in the way that he wants us to change in this pervasive, life-changing way because of the good news of the gospel, and now we're following him into places we never thought we would go because of his call and because of where he's leading. Sometimes he's going to rearrange our priorities, and sometimes it's going to mean we have to let go of certain things to go where he's calling us to go. Sometimes it means we have to take on new things to carry with us as he's calling us to go. But he's, in doing so, in each step, he's rearranging our priorities to his priorities. And sometimes it involves, and it means that we have to let go of the things of the darkness so we can embrace the things of the light that he promises to us. And that's hard. See, Christ left his throne and his father in heaven so that we could experience the light and the good news of the gospel. He pulled us out of that darkness, out of that chaos, and now he has given to us the title of sons and daughters. It was greatly costly for Christ. He left glory for flesh and blood. And this call now, as he's calling us to himself, we can't save ourselves. He does that for us, but he says, now because of where I've called you and how I've called you and because I love you and because I have a wonderful plan and mission for where you're going, he says, follow me and I'm gonna take you to places you never thought you'd go. And sometimes that means a leaving and sometimes that means a letting go of things that we've held tightly onto that he's saying it's time to let go of them. And he reorders our lives for his great purposes. And when that happens, we begin to see and experience Jesus in beautiful ways. One of my favorite scriptures, Luke 10, 23. Jesus says this to those that follow him. Turning to his disciples, he said privately. So he's just talking to his followers, those that are walking with him. Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them and hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. Jesus says, you get a blessing that's beyond all compare when you walk with me. You get to see things. You get to hear the things that no one else will because of me. And we who follow Christ, he has power over all things and we can trust his call and we can trust where he's leading us and we can trust that we can let go of some of the things that are in the darkness that are holding us back, that are entangling us in sin and the things of this world. We can trust him that he has something better. Why? Because we have total access to him now. And Jesus says, come to me and I will make you become something brand new. Cling to this good news. Go where he's leading. Listen to the still small voice. What is he calling us to let go of so that this year we can run hard following after Jesus, knowing that his way is good and his plan is best. Let's pray together, church. As we're praying, I see a few of our elders here in the room. And if you need someone to pray for you, um, if you came into this place and you are... Uh, 
You feel burdened maybe by religion. You feel burdened by maybe uh, the ways of this world. You feel burdened by something going on in your life. We uh, would love the opportunity to pray for you and pray with you. And so we're gonna have some folks in the back of this room. And when I say amen here in a moment, please come uh, and let someone pray for you and pray with you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your call is a profoundly life-altering one. We thank you it's not a call to morality and a call to save ourselves, but a, but a call to believe and repent in the good news of the gospel that you have done which we could never do for ourselves. And then as a result of that call, Lord, I thank you that you are now making us become something new that is reflective of your good nature and your good kingdom. Lord, may we spend our lives abiding with you, following you, and even letting go of the things that so easily entangle us and running headlong to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the very joy set before him endured the cross for us, that we now are sons and daughters free to run and live in this kingdom, knowing that you are with us, that you will never leave us, and that you will never forsake us and you're taking us to places we can never fathom. And so I pray for each of us in here that we would cling to Jesus along the ride. We love you and we trust you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Church, let's stand and worship.